Welcome to the Evolving Man podcast. My name is Alan DeMonso, and I'm the founder of The Awakened Man. And in today's episode, I want to touch on relationships, specifically something that I call the big three. You see, these are three hot button topics that if they're not understood, worked on, and made to be a priority, the quality of our relationships will suffer. So what are these three big topics? They're finance, spirituality, and sex. So let's get into it. The average man today is sleepwalking through life. Many never reaching their true potential, let alone ever crossing the finish line to living a purposeful life. Luckily throughout history, there exists a few good men we can look to for guidance. Strong, confident, driven. Men who weren't afraid to face the greatest tyrant they've ever known, their minds. Forged in the fire of their shadows, these men knew who they were at their core solid in their convictions, owners of their reality, men of action, strength, and character, masters of their destiny. Today's man is no different. The hunger still exists, albeit buried amidst his cluttered mind, misguided beliefs, and values that no longer serve them or the world. There's never been a better time than today for men to stand up and claim their stake. It's time to reconnect to your life purpose. Evolving into husbands and fathers, our wives and children deserve. Becoming masters of our life and the leaders of our homes and community. Ever evolving, today's man is assured he is aligned for greatness. Welcome to the movement. Stay strong, my brother. So let me ask you a few questions. First, can you remember a time when the two of you were talking about making a big purchase, like maybe a house, and you just couldn't get on the same page? Or how about when have either of you ever decided that the church thing just wasn't working out anymore, and so slowly the discussion of God or spirituality just didn't exist within the relationship? And finally, you have this longing for sex, like it was in the early days, but now you've got kids, careers, you have extracurricular activities that aren't sex. And that all of this has taken a toll on the intimacy. And so when it does happen for you, it's step one, followed by move two. No, wait, switch positions. That's move three. And you're done. Pretty routine, right? I don't know about you, but boy, can I relate to these. So what's the problem? You see, courtship rarely involves any deep discussions, does it? At least that's what my experience has been. How deep do we really get into sex, finance, and spirituality? See, we're blinded by the excitement and the newness of the relationship, aren't we? That's where our focus is, not necessarily in the long haul for what that relationship could ultimately become. See, we don't see the potential flaws that are being demonstrated both in ourselves and in our partners. Because we're spending money more than we normally would, and for some reason it is just to be able to impress the other person, because it feels good for us to be able to share something that we can for ourselves that's somewhat safe. You see, sex was often amazing and often, wasn't it? But depending on how long that courtship may have gone on, religion and spirituality was probably just a passing thought. Now, of course, that all depends on where you met and for how long the courtship was. So let me tell you a little bit of story about my wife and I and how our courtship went. 
You see, she loved to golf. She loved to golf. She still loves to golf. Going out for dinners was something that we both enjoyed doing. So we enjoyed spending time together, whether it be on the golf course, dinners, and movies. Yet the only thing that we really talked about was my boys. She wasn't interested in having children, and that was fine for the both of us. And at the time, my boys were two and five years old. And so it was okay because, because I had two youngsters, this didn't cause much friction for us. But you know what? We didn't get into big topics about buying houses. And because our sex life was going great at the time, and I know, I know, it's my memories, it's my dreams, so I'm living it how I'd like. The fact of the matter is, is that we didn't think about the long-term effects of some of the decisions that we needed to be making. You know what? And spiritually at the time, I hadn't set foot into a church since I was 14 years old. So God just wasn't part of the vocabulary. Now, not everyone will have these same experiences. And I get that. The point I'm trying to make here is that based on divorce rates, there's a high probability that the big three are just not things that people talk about early in their relationships. And sometimes not at all because of the size of the button that these have on each other and nobody wants them to get pushed. So when my marriage was on shaky ground, I started to really dive deep into what I needed to do to get it back on track. That's when I noticed that there were three key areas that when I came up with this analogy of a three-legged stool. See, each leg represents one of the big three, sex, finance, and spirituality. See, if one of those legs is a little bit off-tiltered, even just a little bit, then the relationship it starts to get on shaky ground, doesn't it? And if it's broken, well, you know what happens, and it's not a good story. Now, depending on the, what research paper and article you read, there will be a range of reasons why people ultimately divorce. So let me state that this discussion isn't about divorce. It's about what you can do before you get to that point. It's about taking action and responsibility for three of the toughest discussions a couple can have, in my opinion. So what do you do when one of these legs is off kilter and about to be broken? Let's take a little bit deeper dive into the causes, the challenges, and the resolutions for each of these legs. Ultimately, what the relationship is striving for is consensus. We don't have to agree on everything. We do have to be on the same ultimate path, and that's what consensus does. It allows for both sides to be heard with room to create a plan that meets both people's values and beliefs. Let's start with financial consensus. If you're in a committed relationship, you and your partner owe it to each other to have an honest and calm conversation about each other's finances, habits, goals, and anxieties all around how, what, how money works in your lives. See, this is where ego and anxieties about control and the notions of a marital roles will need to take a back seat. See, because if the two of you don't work together at this, with this together at this point, then you're going to struggle with this particular pillar or this particular leg. So did you know that most marriages start off in debt? It's true. And see, when debt is an issue out of the gate, then it makes sense for you to know a little bit about something about your partner's values and beliefs surrounding money. So there's an idea out there that says that people have a money personality type or a money mindset. And so each mindset does have a few special characteristics. And out of brevity for today, because there's a couple other legs I want to talk about, 
we're just gonna touch on a couple of key characteristics of the five different personality money types. The first one is the big spenders. You know, they like nice things and they're not necessarily gonna be bargain hunters, right? They're keeping up with the Joneses it will be their, their type of motto. And they are comfortable spending money so they don't fear debt. Then there's the other side of the spectrum, the savers. They're frugal. Rarely do they make any type of a purchase using their credit card. And generally, they'll have no debt or conservative by nature, so they don't take big risks with money or their investments. Then there's the shoppers. See, they get emotional satisfaction from spending money. So they like to buy things, even if they don't need it, because it's the shopping game that gives them the thrill. See, and they vary on investing, so they may or not do investing, and they're probably inconsistent with saving for the future. And then there are the debtors. See, they don't talk about their expenses because they don't care to spend that much time putting any thought into money. Ask a debtor where the money went, and they're likely to look at you like a deer in the headlights. They just don't know. These folks just spend more money than they actually make. And of course, the last group are the investors. They are consciously aware of their money. They understand their financial position and they are always looking to find ways to make money work for them. You see, their goal is to have enough passive income that takes care of all of their bills. So looking at this list, it's probably pretty easy to get a sense of where you and your partner fall into one of these five personality types. I don't have to run out and do the personality test to find out where you stand but there's lots of them out on the internet. You can either, you're either gonna be a sa saving every penny and investing what you have, or you're gonna be somewhere on that spending spectrum. And if you wanna dive into it, like I said, there's lots of free options on the internet and each one has a slight variation in what they call the, the title, whether it's an investor or not. The point here is that you are going to discover varying values and beliefs. So how do you deal with this? You see, a successful couple does a few things around money. First, they talk openly about it and they do it a lot. That means they know each other's what each other's money type is and they make plans for large purchases and decisions like having children, saving for children's education, retirement planning, etc. For us specifically, we automate as much of our bills as possible. In other words, our banking institution allows me to predetermine how much I wanna to pay towards my bills and the frequency rate. I like to do this for about six months at a time. It gives me an opportunity to measure how things are coming along. And if I've happened to pay, overpay something too much, like on a utility, then I can always dial it back. But I know exactly what the output is coming from the home well in advance. And we do the same thing for our investing accounts and for vacation planning or any of the other things that we like to do. The other thing successful couples do around money is they create money dates. And usually that's a weekly occurrence. So you just have to make sure that's what you do in order to make sure that you're on the same page. And part of that date includes ensuring both sides are comfortable with who's paying what and for how much. See, they set rules aside for what they will call guilt-free money. And that's, an about, and that's about allowing each other enough opportunity to spend something that you would like to do without having to have to answer every little bit of it. It gives the sense of freedom, especially for those who are the spenders, but it can then be kept in check so everybody's on the same page. 
So one caveat, if you are a couple that are in financial trouble, your best bet is to seek professional help from a financial advisor or some debt experts to get you back on your feet. The key of this whole leg is that you need to talk about where you are financially and then get in front of it as soon as you can in order to save the relationship. Let's look at the next leg. The next leg is spiritual consciousness. See, I've purposely called it spiritual instead of religious because there's a growing percentage, about 45%, of marriages today that are interfaith. And this is all due because Westerners are becoming less religious. We're less religious than our parents and for sure less religious than our grandparents. So the challenges that are faced with interfaith couples or couples where there's no spiritual practice at all is that the relationship will struggle without the backing of something greater than the two of them. Now, this is not to say that spiritually aligned couples don't struggle because they do. The difference, though, is that they share a common practice, affording them a pathway of getting out of trouble. So at some point in our lives, we're going to be challenged with something that will take us to the brink. And if without a faith, our likelihood of making that, making it through, making our relationship stronger and better is going to be slim to none. That's my belief. And because I have that, and that's because I've had that experience, and this experience I've seen with other men that I work with. But bonding spiritually can be puzzling from husbands and wives. See, even if both of you set a goal to grow spiritually, you may have difficulty deciding on how and where to go. And if you only have one of you who wants to pursue a spiritual path, then your deep, then your relationship was definitely going to have some additional struggles. So what do you do when one is on a spiritual path and the other one isn't? One thing is to switch from thinking of spirituality as a destination. Instead, think of it as a process. See, what I mean by that is if you focus on changing or converting your spouse, then you're likely to face an uphill battle, which will ultimately build resentment. Instead, when difficulties come up in the relationship, ask yourself, what can we learn from here in this moment, at this time? See, when you practice this and do, and really what you're doing is flexing your spiritual muscles, you're demonstrating your core tenets of your spiritual practice. Patience, caring, tolerance, appreciation, and love. Then you can look for ways on how you can stay on the same side when you're dealing with the problem. And as you cultivate patience in the relationship, what you're really doing is opening the door for your spouse to be more open about learning about your spiritual practice. Remember, you're going to get more bees with honey than you do with vinegar. So start, the other thing I would suggest is start praying at every meal. Set it as a mealtime ritual. You know, there's an old adage that says, the couple that prays together stays together. And I wholeheartedly believe that. And it's what has one of the practices that has gotten us through some pretty trying times. So what's the formula then for spiritual consensus? It's God first, spouse second, and marriage and life and everything else third. Let's go to the final leg in this three-legged stool, sexual consensus. See, a study, a study published in the Journal of Sex and Marital Therapy surveyed 2,400 recently divorced people, and they asked them to select what was the one main reason for their split. And the top response by 47% of those participants was that there was a lack of love or intimacy in either from either one or both parties because they had fallen out of love. 
See, this is a common problem for marriages. So let's be realistic here. The early days of intense passion just don't exist anymore. At least they do not exist. They do not exist to the extent as they did in the beginning. The fact of the matter is our lives have gotten busy, as I said earlier. Children, careers, family, friends, hobbies, you name it. There are tons of distractions that are out there. So it's little wonder that the time that is used to be set aside for passion has been taken over by life. So if we want to have a good sexual relationship, we need to build upon emotional intimacy and closeness. So what do I mean by that? I mean that we need to focus on emotional connection by meeting our spouse's needs and communicating our needs in a loving and respectful way. I really like what the work that's being done at the Gottman Institute. And in his book, The Science of Trust, John Gottman explains that couples who want to rekindle their passion and love and need to turn towards each other. He calls that emotional attunement. And emotional attunement occurs when people approach each problems as a team. They are both aware of their experience and they are of what they're feeling in the moment and are motivated to work together on a resolution. By doing this, what we're doing is we're showing empathy instead of defensiveness. And the focus is on positive needs instead of what we don't want. So one emotional, once we get emotional intimacy straightened out, our focus then moves to rekindling our sexual chemistry. So interestingly enough, science tells us that during those heated early days of infatuation and touching, that our bodies are actually releasing oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone. And it reduces our stress hormones as well. So it's not a wonder that we get turned on and feel good when our wives touch us. The point being is that as life has settled in, we tend to forget how much we touched each other. How often, and so I want to know, how often do you hold your wife's hand? Just because. And how often do you just hug and hold her? Just because. You know, Kim and I, we make it a point, we make it a point to ensure that we greet each other at the door every time one of us comes in from a long period of way. It shows respect and caring for each other. That greet at the door is followed by a long or short and sometimes a longer glance into each other's eyes and a hug. What we're saying to each other is that we value one another. Sex therapist, Dr. Michael Steisma, <laughs> recommends that couples set a goal of doubling the length of time that you spend kissing, hugging and using sensual touch if you want to improve your marriage. And that makes sense to me. The key to gaining sexual consensus is that both parties have to be prepared to give up control and be vulnerable with each other. So I'm going to go back to, I'm going to go back now and close this out by listing 10 things that I found with the Gottman Institute that we can do to bring passion back into our marriage. The first thing they suggest is Change your pattern of initiating sex. See, if you're the initiator, take a step back. Number two, hold hands more often. Already talked about that, right? Releases oxytocin and reduces stress. Allow tension to build. You know, take your time during foreplay. Share fantasies, change locations, just be romantic. Then separate, number four, separate sexual intimacy from routine. Man, if you need to plan it, plan it and avoid the relationship problem talks during your intimate times. Get them out of the bedroom. 
six or five, I should say, carve time out with your partner. Find things to do that, you, that both of you can do as a couple that you both will get some pleasure out of and both will enjoy. Maybe it's a project. Maybe it's just doing things around the house together. Just anything but find things that work for you. Number six, focus on affectionate touch. Back, foot, shoulder rubs are a good start. Things that are non-sexual but can lead to that if you're, if you're focused on just taking care of your partner at the time, at the moment. Seven, practice being emotionally, emotionally vulnerable during sex. Share your wishes, your desires, and fantasies with each other. Now that may take some time and you may need to get see someone to help in order for that to happen for you. And number eight, maintain a sense of curiosity about sexual intimacy. Explore different ways to please each other. It's a great way to learn about your partner and about yourself. And nine, vary the kind of sex that you have. Is it gentle, intimate, highly erotic? Just break up the routine. Nothing's more than that, more of a killer than routine. And number 10, make sex a priority. Set the mood, go the extra mile, do the things in order to make it a priority in your life. Remember, above all else, it's the friendship that is the glue that will hold the relationship together. So listen, every relationship is going to go through peaks and valleys. And the ones that find a way to last, keep up with the three-legged stools and know that money, spirituality, and sex need to be openly discussed, need to be openly worked on, and need to be openly done together. So like the stock market, our relationships are not a straight line up. There will be corrections along the way. Overall, the valley of the relationship is an upward trajectory, and that should be the goal. If you'd like some more guidance on how to navigate and improve the value in your relationship and your marriage, I recommend joining the Awakened Man community and our Band of Brothers Men's Circle. We offer a structured format that is safe and, and empowering for men. Thank you for joining me today. Aho, my brothers. So your journey doesn't have to end today. Come join me at the Band of Brothers. It's our weekly inner circle group. The sessions I have are broken into two parts. Our first part is on a specific topic with time to discuss the experiences related around that topic. And then second part is about a round table. And that's an opportunity for men to be able to share about the things that are going on in their lives and to be able to get some guidance from the men in the group. We meet on Tuesday evenings at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And you can find us at members.theawakenman.net. I look forward to seeing you in the brotherhood. Thank you for listening to the Evolving Man podcast. Are you ready to own your destiny? To become more the man you are destined to be? Join the brotherhood that is the Awakened Man at theawakenedman.net and start forging a new destiny today.